You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, episode 279. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to Stand Out Get Noticed. I'm your host, Christina Cantors. I help professionals and business leaders to build powerful communication skills. You can learn more at thecmethod.com. Now, today we are exploring how to deal with uncomfortable emotions. This is a skill that is part of emotional intelligence, which my guest today calls a superpower. Now, I want you to think about the last time you felt an uncomfortable, yucky emotion. Maybe it was fear, anxiety, sadness, guilt, or frustration. And I want you to think about what you did about that uncomfortable emotion. Did you allow yourself to fully feel it or did you do something to make it go away? Now, what you're about to discover is how important it is to learn to sit with and regulate and process your emotions as well as how to do it. And if you can learn this skill, it will lead to better relationships with others. It will lead to increased well-being for yourself, as well as more trust and confidence in yourself. And who doesn't want that? So this is absolutely a really powerful skill to develop. And I'm really excited to have Christine Waring on the show to share her insights with you. Christine is an experienced psychologist with close to 20 years in the industry. She brings an empowering and integrated approach to mental health and well-being, and she offers therapy for the body, mind, and heart, which I really love. Christine specializes in helping people to navigate their emotions associated with change, challenge, and transition. Her company is called Positive Moves Wellbeing, and she's all about bringing psychology to life. And some of her um, therapy sessions include walking sessions that move the body and the mind to to help with that that mind and body connection. You can learn more about her work at positivemoveswellbeing.com.au. Now, if you enjoy this episode and you want more, I invite you to join our members-only training program and community, the C-Method Academy, where you get access to over 200 episodes of this show, as well as monthly masterclasses and live webinars. To learn more and to join, visit thecmethod.com slash join. All right, let's get to the conversation with Christine Waring. When you think about what are the things that we measure and reward in our profession and also in in society, if you look at what do we um, place value on in education, in our children's development, in our performance at work, it tends to be those those harder cognitive skills like your thinking, your um, how good is your reading, your writing, your thinking, your decision making. Mm. Um, those are. I guess what we would usually assess in an IQ assessment, an intelligence test, um, those are the elements that we tap into. And that cognitive element has really dominated. And emotional intelligence was often talked about as, I mean, in in our initial training, not much at all. Um, It would be a, a a poor cousin of cognitive. You would talk about, oh, you know, consider when you're testing someone's intelligence, maybe they might be stressed and consider their emotional well-being and that, but we wouldn't actually spend a great deal of time um, looking at the emotional skills. Um, 
And really, emotional intelligence has kind of come into its own in the last couple of decades. So uh, we've recognised that far from being these soft, nice-to-have skills, Mm. they're absolutely crucial and they underpin so much of of how we operate. And actually, what we understand of the brain is that the the brain develops in this neurosequential manner. So each each step of brain development relies on a foundation in the preceding level. So really, if we haven't got the emotional skills as a foundation, then those higher order, what we, what we deem higher order skills um, of decision making and um, you know, thinking, problem solving, we can't use those as effectively. So that's why I talk about emotion emotional hygiene, emotional health and emotional intelligence as being a bit of a, a superpower because it it then means that we can boost our capacity to, to use the cognitive skills that we've got at our disposal. So can we go back, Christine, to the neurosequential development? Yeah. Is that did I get that right? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I've not I've not heard this before. Can we explore this? So what I'm hearing is that the way that our brains develop they develop sequentially. And what I'm hearing is that the emotional intelligence is actually the foundation that comes first. Well, if we think about the formation of the brain, so that, that the, the very first functions of the brain in regulating things are, are essential human um, functions that we need. We need to be able to breathe. So the brain stem is that, that first part that does all of our essential, um, all essential functions that keep us alive. And then the next part of the brain that developed was the emotional part. That, um, uh, so it was the, the part that kept us safe and alive when we were under threat. So the, the, those responses to would we fight or would we flee from, from a predator? Is that like the croc needed- brain? So that some people call it that reptilian the brain. The reptilian, um, okay, yeah. It, it, it was a really kind of early, people often refer to it as the primitive brain, but I think that's a bit dismissive because then we think of it as it's not particularly sophisticated. Mm. And actually, when that's the part of the brain that we can do a lot of work as we grow up and, and the skills that we're talking about today um, can refine it. So we're no longer held hostage by that part of the brain going you know you're under threat you're under siege and all of the thinking goes out the window but that's the part of the brain that makes us freeze up when we're in front of an audience or put on the spot okay okay (laughs) and we have that fight or flight response exactly and it's protective so it's there it it's there for good reason but if we just allow it to run the show not particularly great it's a bit like a tantruming toddler or something it's uh, we we it needs um us to the next layer on top of that which is all of those cognitive skills or thinking um skills that um we can then work with them you know establish a good relationship between those elements of our brain so that um each part is playing each part of the brain is playing its part in our overall functioning and performance so we've got the primitive brain and then yeah. we've got the next layer of the brain. Then the, the cortex and the prefrontal cortex in particular, that part just behind our forehead, yeah. which is um, the part that's 
I guess, the most sophisticated in terms of us, our planning um, and all of those parts that we, we kind of look at as the, the, the six, somebody who's successfully operating would be using those, the parts in the, the cortex, the thinking part in the prefrontal cortex, decision making, planning, execution, all of those parts. But those parts can't come online if the emotional part of the brain is screaming there's a threat in the vicinity because right. we're not going to be stopping and thinking and making great decisions. So we need to have some good regulation of the emotional part of our brain to enable us to access mm. that thinking part. So Christine, you mentioned before that even in your psychology training, the emotional intelligence component was considered the poor cousin of the cognitive intelligence. Why, why do you think it wasn't given that significance? I think we just didn't. You know, remember, I, I trained 20 years ago, so I'm, I'm probably doing a disservice to some of the training now. But um, I think that our education systems and our, our business models, we've tended to continually reward the, the thinking part and perhaps not recognised our, our knowledge of how the brain was operating wasn't quite as sophisticated as now with new technologies being able to scan and image brain we could see just how important it was to 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 regulate those emotion hotspots and what, uh, what an impact that could have on on our performance but prior to that I think we thought you know, a really good, strong, solid education, textbook um, content. That's what it's all about, mm. being able to teach to the test and regurgitate something. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but that, that, that was what was required for, for a, good, a good performance. And it's really been over time we've started to recognise, well, oh, actually, good performance is reliant on, on so much more than just knowing your stuff. It's also yeah. about how you engage, how you can, you've got to be able to, to articulate that. You've got to be able to connect with other people. You've got to be able to read the room. Um, you've got to be able to respond to changing conditions. Um, and you've got to be able to persevere when things start to go wrong and get yourself back on track. And all of those things skills are based in really good emotional intelligence. Hmm. Well, look, I, I never did an exam or a test in high school where those skills were <laughs> tested. You know, no one said, oh, let's get you into a, an argument with this person and see how you respond and we'll, give, we'll grade you on that. Like yeah. that was never a thing. No. And, and actually what we can do both in terms of our upbringing, some of the messaging we get, um, in our upbringing and in education is we can kind of be told just to keep quiet, keep pushing those emotions down. Mm. <laughs> so big emotions aren't necessarily respected and we can then start to internalise the idea that, oh, emotions aren't welcome here. Um, emotions aren't welcome. It's keep quiet and just agree the, you know the quiet kid in the class or just get on get your head down get on with work um and 
then therefore we're missing actually doing some of the explicit thing of you know check in what's that what's coming up for you here tap into your passions listen to the messages that come up when you're in different situations in your body because actually they're great guides to you and we don't need to be fearful of them but i think for so long if you're consistently told that's not important put that aside just get on with your work <laughs> um do the job then actually we've become a bit divorced from 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 our emotions and there there's lots of situations where they're not welcome i mean look at our society as well we're quite sanitized when it comes to our uh, our relationship with emotions we we're not you know our, our communities aren't quite as welcoming of big displays of emotion and it's quite a keep keeping up appearances how are you doing yep fine are you okay yes you mm. know don't go there don't go into the messy stuff so we're we've become a bit averse to sitting with some of the some of the less predictable yucky emotional bits um and getting smart at how we deal with them mm. christine there's so much good stuff in there i'm I'm not sure which where I want to go with my next question. <laughs> um, but it's so it's so true, right? When you say when we say to someone, Hi, how are you going? People go, Yeah, good. And how weird is it when someone says, Oh, actually, I'm having a really stressful time at the moment. People don't know what to say. They're like, Oh, um, okay. You know, mm. and and it is really uncomfortable, you know, and yeah. you're right, it, we are very sanitized and it's very much a put on a brave face, don't express your emotions. And I mean, uh, you know, we hear this all the time that men in particular tend to be discouraged from expressing any sign of or showing any sign of weakness. They see um, expression of emotion like sadness or fear as being a sign of weakness. So they, they don't want to want to share that. Christine, do you, do you have an example of a client, you know, or someone you've worked with who had been pushing their emotions down or, or what sort of messages they'd received that then had an adverse effect on yeah. on them i was going to say isn't it interesting we're having this discussion about how difficult the <clears throat> the follow-up to are you okay and it was only a few days ago the are you okay day wow. was was um a feature and you know they're talking about how do we support that next level of the conversation when someone says no actually um mm. yeah so i think there's some recognition that it's something that we need to get better at and certainly i work with, with lots of people who have heard that message either explicit or implicit this isn't about kind of blaming other people for how we're handling our emotions now but just we're surrounded by messaging that uh, that is it's not okay to to show overtly um and i'm thinking about um a, a client in particular that i was working with who her her upbringing had um her her own mother had 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 mental health issues and was really focused i guess on managing her own emotional well-being and therefore had limited capacity to to sort of offer that for for um this lady growing up but now as an adult she's looking at how she's responding in work situations and in interpersonal relations when when somebody challenges or contradicts her opinion 
she was becoming frustrated that her default was just to submit and say, oh, oh you, you're right, you're right. And she was saying, why, like, really frustrated by losing her voice in the room. And um, we really did some of the emotional work of going back to what was coming up for her. But it was a bodily response for her. She would feel this racing heart and almost a sickness in the pit of her stomach when someone contradicted what she was saying. And it could be small things, really. They weren't necessarily, you know, life-changing moments. But uh, we, when we went back to thinking about what were some of the messages that you got when you voiced your opinion growing up, and she was able to piece together that, in fact, the message was it was dangerous to contradict what mum was saying because mum wasn't able to regulate her response so it would result in a really angry or sometimes breaking down in tears a really emotional response that for a child would be so frightening that no no I you know the message is don't go there don't rock the boat mum can't handle this Mm. so that early training then became you know, we've all got them. We've all got these default <laughs> modes, which have been well, you know, our brains have got these pathways that have been worn and laid down many, many times. And then under stress, that's where we tend to go back to those default modes. So her default mode was, I learned as a child, don't rock the boat, don't upset someone because it makes mm. it unsafe for you. Mm. And now, as an adult, even though she's a strong, capable woman, she was defaulting to that childhood experience. And really, the, the part of work we had to do was not around changing thinking strategies. We had to help her to regulate what was happening in her body and, re- and come back into here and now. Here and now, I'm not a frightened child. This isn't a scary mum. I don't have to protect this person's feelings. That's not my responsibility. Now I can use my voice. Now I can I can trust myself to, to say this without having to fear the ramifications. Christine, this is a really nice segue into the how part. You know, so how do we go about doing this? And I want to go back to what you said about her your client, how she started with the physical response. So you mentioned that she noticed, so the first thing that she noticed when she was struggling emotionally was, you know, she had that physical reaction in her body. So is that then the first place you start when it comes to learning how to regulate your emotions? Uh, I talk about an an integrated approach. So um Whereas, you know, we spoke about sequentially in the, in the formation in the, in the brain, but the reality is we're using all of the, all of the tools at our disposal and, and we're getting smart at weaving them in. But certainly if we haven't already got a really good understanding of how emotion shows up in our body and because what we talked about earlier with being a bit head focused and tending to do more thinking, I do find that a great deal of that early work with clients is about reconnecting them to what's going on in their body. So checking in, what are the sensations? And also what, what's your response to those sensations? Because usually, um, particularly if we're feeling a bit threatened, 
when a yucky sensation comes up in our body, we, we're kind of prone to look for the quickest, easiest, even dirtiest way of getting rid of that yucky feeling. <laughs> how, how, do we, um, how do we tend to do that? <laughs> so it might be by um, pushing it back down, ignoring it, hoping it goes away. And emotions are a bit like hungry hippos, you know, they'll pop up somewhere else. So that one doesn't really work for long. That's a short term strategy. Mm. We might look for something to numb it. We might reach for a cigarette or uh, a drink of alcohol. Yeah, we've got all sorts of dysfunctional ways of... Um, maybe over, overeating, maybe. Overeating. Yeah. We might scroll a bit longer, distract ourselves on our screen. Shopping, some, maybe. Some, online shopping. Online shopping. Anything that gives us a little hit of a feel-good right? Um, to counter this yuckiness we've got going on. But, of course, what we've done is we've ignored it. Mm. So we've pushed it down. Well, deal with that later. But we never sometimes <laughs> don't get to it later and therefore we're also giving ourselves the message that you can't handle this you know yes. if, if what we immediately do is jump to reacting and distracting then we're never learning to build trust that I can it's, it feels horrid in here right now but I can handle this and also learning to tell the body you're safe that, that client that I was talking about who felt really unsafe because as a child she had been. But we can, we can biohack <laughs> into the, uh, the, the biology in the body and we, we've got a great tool in our breath um, and we can give a message to the body that actually it's safe. We can slow things down, slow down our responses, change our tone of voice, change the rate and the pace at which we're breathing. Um, and what that does is it triggers the body's natural relaxation response. So we don't need to reach for an artificial and we can also build a little bit of tolerance for sitting with that, sitting through that rather than jumping to quieten the, the response. I think what's key here, Christine, is learning how to be okay and developing some level of comfort with the discomfort exactly. to me that sounds like that's a key part of this process yeah. yep and tiny little things so we can do that in our in day-to-day -day life by catching ourselves when you know it doesn't have to be a, a big thing that yeah. we're facing in fact we want to build this muscle frequently and consistently on a daily basis so when you catch yourself wanting to just impulsively I don't know. Um, I can think of an example with my husband in the car the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he's impulsively tapping every radio station, flicking through because he can't stand the adverts and he just wants to find a radio station that has got music on it. Yeah. <laughs> and really, there's an opportunity, a tiny opportunity to go, okay, this is annoying. There's an advert on the radio right now and I don't like it, but I'm going to practice sitting for the 30 seconds that adds on and wait for the music to come back <laughs> rather than okay. oh, I don't like it take it away take it away because and it's a, it's a really simplistic example but we've got hundreds of those in a day where we build a little bit of tolerance we don't have to immediately get satisfaction for something and we're you know our society is very much set up everything's 
um, you know, we've got technology to answer a question for us without having to sit with the uncertainty for a little while. We've got a remote control to flick the channel if we don't like what we're seeing right now. So I would encourage and I would explain to, to clients I'm working with the value of this. It's not deliberately doing stuff you don't like. It's about building the pathway and also building trust in yourself that you can sit with little bits of discomfort. Then we can do like, you know, build on that incrementally. There are some breath exercises where we sit with a little bit of discomfort with, you know, building our, our CO2 tolerance because that's a little bit uncomfortable. It might be cold water exposure, which builds a little bit of discomfort with, uh, you know, a, a quick blast of a cold shower. All of those things that are actually building that muscle where we're less reactive. We can trust ourselves to build in that pause. Mm. And Christine, I think that's such a powerful message around how doing all this stuff, it not just helps us to respond better in the moment, but it helps to build that self-trust. And it sounds to me that by slowly building up that self-trust, we would then feel more confident going into more difficult situations because we know that we can handle whatever's going to happen. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I talked a little bit about kind of befriending those sensations that come up. So Mm. we, you know, we, we don't really, none of us enjoy that. You know, those feelings that come up when you're tackling something new, a bit unfamiliar, a bit scary. Um, but if we can help to understand that those feelings are there, they're a natural response to something unfamiliar. And rather than convey the message to our body and mind that it's something to be feared, we get practice at saying, oh, I recognize this. I recognize this as the sensation that goes with trying something unfamiliar. And I've been here before. And the more times we've done it before, the more times we've done all those little micro practices, the more likely we are to be able to draw on that and quieten down the alarm that's sounding in our body to then be able to go in there and and more confidently deal with the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Christine, you've talked a bit about you've mentioned the breath technique. Do you have a specific type of breathing technique that you recommend people do? Um, I've got to say a, a whole a whole menu of them, depending <laughs> on what depending on what yeah what different situation. But I guess there are a few okay. a few basic. A couple um, you'll probably have heard of box breathing. A lot of people have um, heard of that one. It's really common, and box breathing is really a count of four as we inhale, we hold for four, we exhale for four, we hold for four. So it's creating a, a square. You can almost, with, with younger clients, I work with kids as well. And, you know, with them, they actually like to follow it with their finger, yeah. the, the square. But what we're doing there is we're, we're really, we're taking something that's usually, we just subconsciously get on with breathing, but we're bringing it to our conscious attention and we're taking a bit of control over it and we're slowing it and we're building in pauses where we wouldn't usually and doing all of that is giving that that vagal nerve in our body that's responsible for the brain the the body's natural uh, relaxation it's giving it the message that huh okay we're in control here 
we can manage this. She wouldn't be stopping and doing box breathing if she was being chased down by <laughs> something really dangerous. So it's okay, we're safe. And doing that box breathing for a few minutes is, um, yeah, are just a really powerful way of coming back into your body and slowing things down. And also, if you're not wanting to do the, the, the counting, just being conscious of having, taking an inhale through the nose and making sure that your exhale is slightly longer. So if you're inhaling for four, doing a, a six or an eight count exhale so that we're letting go of more than we're taking in. Because when we're in a real panic about something, we tend to be gasping, gasping right. oxygen, sucking in lots and lots of oxygen. And if we're doing that, then we're giving the body the message, whoa, there's something big going down here. She's really gulping in the oxygen. So by taking a little bit less in and focusing on the, the let go, then we're, uh, we're going to get that natural relaxation going. I love that. I'd never, I had heard of the longer exhale and shorter inhale, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of the, you know, you're letting go more of that you're taking in, which I really love. Yeah. So yeah, thank I you like for that sharing too. that. Yeah. Let go, let, letting go is, is a, good, <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> Well, Christine, this has been so wonderful having you on the show and I really love the perspective you've brought to the topic of emotional intelligence and I, I thank you for sharing some of the you know practical things that people can do to start building up their tolerance for this discomfort as well. I think that's so important to see it as a gradual progression and not some big thing that you have to be able to do immediately. Before we wrap, Christine, would you mind sharing with us uh, who are the people you work with and how can people connect with you? So I work with people who are dealing with change, challenge and transition. So that's, that it's pretty all encompassing and mm. that that can bring in. Um, I, I don't tend to, um, it's not specific to a particular um, event or diagnosis I feel like as I mentioned what I find is that emotions underpin so much of what um, what gets in our way of achieving our full potential so really um, I work with people in a coaching capacity as well as a therapeutic capacity and I do quite a bit of my work outdoors doing walking therapy as well as in the online space just now because back to that body stuff that being able to walk as we process um, our emotions is a, a really powerful way of discharging some of the, the the feelings that are tied up to what we're discussing. They can find me at positivemoveswellbeing.com.au and on Instagram and Facebook as Positive Moves Wellbeing as well. Thank you to Christine Waring for being such a wonderful guest on the show this week. You can find more about her work at positivemoveswellbeing.com.au or simply visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 279. Now, if you got something out of this episode, if you found it valuable and got some useful tips and tricks, then I would love it if you could share this episode with a friend or a colleague if you think they would find it useful as well. It's a great way to get the podcast out and helping more people. And that brings this week's episode to a close. Keep on being awesome and I'll talk to you next week. I'm Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs> <laughs>